Hey friends, welcome to Anchored In Always. I'm Katie Thornhill, and I've been through the storms of marriage infidelity, drug and alcohol addiction of a loved one, and even loss of a child to cancer. In this podcast, I will share with you how to place healthy boundaries in your relationships, how to recover from past hurts using the principles of Christian recovery, and how to find healing even in the loss of a loved one, so that you can live a life of joy and purpose despite your circumstances. If you're ready to find freedom and victory, then join me on a journey of soul restoration as we anchor into Jesus. So pull your hair back, strap on your boots, and grab your Bible, and let's weather this storm. Welcome to episode one of Anchored in Always podcast. Oh my goodness, I am so excited that this day is finally here. I'm a little in shock. Um, This has been an exciting journey um, and a work in progress, but I am just so grateful to have this opportunity and this platform to be able to share with you my story and really how I've grown in my faith, but also how I've wrestled with God during some of the darkest hours in my life. And my hope is that as you listen, that you will be able to resonate with some part of my story. I do not believe in coincidences. So if you are here listening today, I know that God has you here for a reason. And there may be something that you're walking through right now or that you've been through that hopefully parts of my story will give you hope. So with that, I'm going to share my story with you with you today. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with anger, anxiety, codependency, perfectionism, pride, fear, body image, and grief. And my name is Katie. I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan to two loving parents. My dad was a new and young Baptist pastor and my mom stayed home. I have an older brother, Chad, and a younger sister, Marcy. Our lives seemed pretty normal up until I was six years old. I vaguely remember my dad taking us kids for a walk around the church property and telling us that mom and dad weren't going to be married any longer. I was confused and scared. My dad had full custody of us kids initially, but soon after my mom had partial custody and we lived with him for a week and her for a week. This began the chaos in my early life. It was like night and day. When we were with my dad, we went to church and he was strict and had more rules. My mom remarried to a man named Ron. While we were at my mom's, we didn't attend church and there were less rules and restrictions. However, my mom and stepdad would often have loud, sometimes violent arguments. It may have seemed more fun at times because there were less restrictions and rules, but I still felt insecure with the sometimes more out of control environment. She would later divorce him and marry my current and wonderful stepdad, Rich. This time in my life, however, began my desire to control things. I couldn't change the chaos of my environment, so I controlled every aspect of my own life. I was a straight-A student in honor society, swim teams, softball team, and student council. You name it, and I did it, and I wanted to be the best at it. I had struggled for years with my body image. My earliest memory was in third grade, comparing my chubbier body to the other skinny girls. It didn't help that my little sister was a string bean and could eat whatever she wanted. I was so jealous because I tried, even at a young age, to watch what I ate so that I could look like other girls. I remember going to family reunions on my mom's side and one of my uncles always commenting on my weight, saying, you're such a pretty girl, but you just need to lose a few pounds. I felt ashamed and unworthy by his comments. This began a cycle of yo-yo dieting that has continued most of my life. I tried every diet, pill, cream, exercise program, and fad I could to get what I thought was the perfect body. 
If I looked a certain way, everyone would like me, right? They would respect me and listen to what I had to say, or so I thought. Around this time, I regularly attended church. I've always tried to do things the right way, be a good Christian girl. I wanted God to be happy with me. I tried so hard to check all the right boxes so that I would find his favor. This pattern has also continued for most of my life. I needed the approval of not only God, but people to feel any worth. I wanted people to acknowledge my grades, my faith in God, that I looked good and took care of myself. I needed the pat on the back. Everything I did was for approval of people. I worked hard to maintain an image of a perfectly balanced life. This led to an unhealthy view of relationships. I treated people as a means to an end. I was too busy being a model of a perfect Christian girl to make time for the messiness of authentic relationships with people. There wasn't going to be chaos like I had grown up with. I was going to make sure of that. I was always drawn to Jeremiah 29:11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The problem was I wanted those plans to be done my way. I was around 19 or so when I met my now husband, Josh. I had just been dumped by a guy I thought I was going to marry one day, and I was heartbroken. I was teaching swim lessons at the YMCA, and Josh was working at the front desk. How could you miss a big, tall, handsome, blue-eyed guy like him, right? I got over my ex pretty quick and wanted to get to know this guy. Josh was shy, and it took a few times before we actually talked. I invited him to church. We began talking on the phone a lot, and on our first actual date, he told me he had a girlfriend, but they weren't getting along and and were about to break up. He ended that relationship and we began seeing each other a lot more after that. When we started dating, Josh was being highly recruited by several Big Ten Division I universities for football. I always respected that while he was so successful in football, he never bragged about it. He worked hard, gave 100%, and was humble. During his years at MSU as a middle linebacker, we continued dating and saw each other a lot. I remember one evening going to a football banquet and noticing Josh and a girl that worked for the team looking at each other a lot. I knew in my heart something was going on between them. After the banquet, I confronted him and he admitted that he had been spending some time with her and was developing feelings for her too. I was crushed. This was the second time he had not been completely honest with me about a girl. We stopped dating for a short period of time. I told him he needed to figure out what he wanted. Well, obviously he couldn't live without me, so we got back together, but the trust had been broken and the scar was there. We dated five and a half years and finally got married on June of 2003. Our marriage, like most, had its ups and downs. I tried to control everything and make sure we looked like the perfect couple, not knowing how unhappy my behaviors were making my husband. We had our daughter, Hannah, in April of 2006. Shortly after this time, Josh began PA school. In December 2006, his dad died of heart complications, suddenly and unexpectedly. This was crushing to our whole family. Josh did not grieve well, and for a few months after his dad's death, he seemed disconnected and at times over-emotional. I would push and try to get him to talk to me, but he was pulling away. I thought it was the grief alone, but I found out a few months later he was having an affair with another student. Again, I was crushed. Why was this happening? What was so wrong with me that I wasn't enough for him? The trust was so badly broken this time, I asked him to leave. So he moved in with with his mom. My dad had come down from Cadillac to help me and talk me through it. He talked me into giving Josh another chance. He said that if there was any part of either of us that loved each other and our hearts were not hardened, that God could heal our marriage. Josh wasn't sure we would ever be happy or compatible together either, 
but he too agreed and we began counseling and eventually he moved back in. Through counseling, I began to see it wasn't all his fault. I had placed unrealistic expectations of what I expected him to be. Things were hard. I wanted to trust him again, but I felt like I needed to check his phone and know where he was at all times. I felt more like his mom than his wife. This, of course, affected our intimacy and closeness. We had our son, Isaac, in December of 2008. Josh was just finishing PA school now, and things seemed to be getting better for a time. Around spring of 2012, we were pregnant again with our third child, Marcus. We had the opportunity to move to Tennessee for a job for Josh. We knew it was what we were supposed to do, so we sold our house and said goodbye to our family and close friends in Michigan. Not too long after we moved to Tennessee, though, I began noticing some changes in Josh. He had struggled with pain from his football injuries and a double knee surgery, but I didn't know that he was becoming addicted to his pain medicine. I did notice he began drinking more, but when I asked him about it, he would make excuses and brush off my concerns. I wanted everything to be okay, so I went along with it for a time. This led to more infidelity and broken trust. It began to get worse, and occasionally something would happen in front of the kids, neighbors, or friends. I realized it was becoming out of control. He was sinking. Every night was a battle. I couldn't control it. I couldn't make him get help. So I tried shaming him, yelling, crying, and begging. But in the end, he had to want to get better. He started getting depressed and said he was worthless and worried he would never change. I was so afraid. I wanted to help, but I didn't know what to do. He hit rock bottom and thankfully sought treatment. It was difficult having him gone for three months. What if it didn't help? What would people think of him or of us? Would I ever be able to trust him again after years of lying to me? But God provided. Right before Josh left, he brought us into a small group that rallied around us and became like family to us. They walked with us through that journey and are still walking alongside of us now. God completely redeemed and restored my husband. When he came home, he was not the same man that I had dropped off 12 weeks earlier. Josh began going to celebrate recovery right away, and I noticed how healthy he was becoming. It was then I started feeling like I was the unhealthy one. I had been so consumed with fixing him that I was falling apart. I was angry at God and even at Josh still. I was anxious. Would he relapse? Would he cheat? I needed recovery too. I wanted a close and intimate relationship with Jesus, not just box checking anymore. So I began my journey in the spring of 2018. I attended a few meetings and loved it. At first I thought maybe I didn't need it, but I would go and check it out. And I found out right away how desperately I did need it. It wasn't until a step study opened up in March of 2018, though, that the real healing began. It was in this time with these women that I began to peel away the layers and discover all the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that I had allowed to shape me, weigh me down, and steal my joy for all of these years. I, find, I found freedom. I began to realize that I didn't have to be perfect. I was just who God made me to be, and He loved me as I was. And He could take all of my junk and use it for good to help others. But first, I needed to get help. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God began laying on both Josh and my hearts a desire to start a Celebrate Recovery ministry at our home church. We met with the pastors and were getting ready to start planning for a January 2019 launch. It was around June of 2018, though, that I started noticing strange symptoms in our youngest son, Marcus was five at the time. His hands were shaking a lot when he would go to open a door, write, or use his utensils at dinner, 
and his eyes looked funny to me like they couldn't open all the way or he just looked tired. I talked to Josh about it and he said to just keep an eye on him. It could be allergies or blood sugar. He had always been very healthy. The symptoms stayed and I knew in my heart there was something wrong with my child. So we had blood work done, which came back normal, but he still had the symptoms. So we had a CT scan done. This showed a, an, an enlargement of a ventricle in his brain and it warranted an MRI. The, um, the original MRI was read by a general radiologist who reported some swelling and fluid buildup in one area of his brain. We were told it was most likely viral encephalitis and it should clear up on its own. We were relieved and left the next day for vacation to Michigan to visit our family. After one day there, we received a call from the pediatric neurologist saying that he had sent the MRI to his friend at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, who was the chief pediatric neurosurgeon. After reviewing it, they found that he did have a mass in his brain and it would most likely be inoperable. We needed to bring him in for a brain biopsy right away. We were devastated. I couldn't stop crying. We left the older kids in Michigan with their grandparents and drove straight to Vanderbilt Hospital where he had his brain biopsy and a shunt put in his brain to remove the excess fluid. Later that week, we, re we received a call from the oncologist that the tumor was in fact cancer and that it was a grade three tumor, which was more aggressive. Since it was inoperable, we would need to start six weeks of radiation and chemotherapy right away to begin shrinking it and prevent further growth and spreading to his spine. As you can imagine, we were in shock. I had all the feelings of anger, questioning God, why? Why him? Why now when we were just getting ready to start this amazing ministry and had felt such a strong calling for it? I just didn't understand. But I will say, even in that moment, right after that call, God gave Josh and I a supernatural peace. We held hands and prayed. I had a choice to run and hide and stay stuck in my unbelief, anger, and resentment. Or I could choose to once again, as I did with my husband, surrender my son to God, trust him, and have hope. He gave us Hebrews 6.19, which says, We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And that verse reminded us that in the storms of life, he is our anchor. He may not stop the storm, but he does promise to hold us, carry us, and be with us through it. And he is our hope. He also gave me several other verses to remind me to trust him. Psalm 112.7 says, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. In Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Despite all of our prayer, support, and hope for a miracle, Marcus took a turn for the worse. Christmas morning of 2020, early in the morning, we woke up to him having trouble breathing. We took an ambulance to the ER and spent the next five days in the ICU. I thought, this is it. He's not going to make it. Jesus is calling him home. But our son was a fighter and it wasn't his time. Toward the end of February, we decided to try a clinical trial in Georgia. COVID hit toward the end of it and we had to head home a little early. He declined, continued to de decline. It was the most heartbreaking time of my life. I had to watch my once vibrant and healthy son now lay in a hospital bed in our bedroom with no quality of life, unable to eat, breathe on his own, or even move a finger. He couldn't talk, smile, or swallow. We were waiting on God, crying out to him to either heal him here and let it be a powerful testimony or take him home and heal him there, but just do something. I couldn't watch him struggle anymore. 
On June 20th of 2020, God answered our prayer and Marcus took his last breath on this earth in our home surrounded by our family. It was soul crushing as his mother to see his body limp, turning gray and cold right before my eyes. I had to say goodbye for now. Through the heartache and pain, there was still peace. I was thankful he wasn't struggling any longer. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was fully healed and restored and in the presence of Jesus in that moment. And that did bring me comfort. And I know that I will see him again and spend eternity with him. But even with that peace, my flesh still battles my spirit. My heart will always have a hole in it. There is an ache in my chest and a lump in my throat that I'm sure in time will heal. Jesus is my anchor in this storm. I bring him all of my anger, pain, doubts, and fears because I have a personal relationship with him. Lamenting is a process of turning to God, laying your complaints at his feet, asking for what you need from him, but ultimately trusting in his character, who he is, and what he has already done and promised in his word. Even though God didn't heal Marcus in the way that we wanted him to, recovery has shown me that he will work all things for our good and his glory, and he will never leave me. So I have a choice again to run and hide or to step out in faith, surrender, and trust him. You too can find freedom from your hurts, habits, and hangups. Recovery is a journey, not a destination. When we first found out about Marcus's diagnosis, we had put our calling of starting Celebrate Recovery at Grace on hold for a few months. But God kept pressing it on our hearts, and we both knew that it didn't matter what our circumstances were. God was calling us to go forward in faith and trust him, and we did. We launched CR at Grace in September of 2019, and we can see now why God had pressed it so hard on our hearts. We thought that we were going to be helping other people, and we have seen the impact of this ministry in the lives of so many people already, but he knew how much we were going to need it ourselves. He knew what was ahead of us, and he provided. So although we miss our son with every breath, we are seeing the impact his journey and our story is having on people all around us. And we know that his death was not in vain. God is in control. He doesn't make mistakes. I truly believe what Satan meant to destroy us, God is using for good and to draw people to himself. Thank you so much for letting me share my story with you. I hope my story can be an encouragement to you today in that even when your childhood is less than ideal or your marriage feels like it is a hot mess and out of control and it's hard for you to see any hope in this situation or any possibility of change that God can bring true restoration and healing to any situation and I'm happy to say that I have a wonderful relationship with my family my dad has just been someone over the years that has been like a strength for me um, I've been able to go to him and I know that he will not always tell me what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. And usually we'll always back what he has to say up with scripture. And I just can't tell you how much of a blessing that is to me and he's been to me. My mom and I have a wonderful relationship and she is someone that will be there for us no matter what. That she has just supported us in everything we've done and is so very generous and loving to our family and I'm so thankful for her as well and really the most amazing is my husband there was a time where I would have never thought that our marriage would be what it is today and although it's not perfect and we have a long way to go 
we have a stronger marriage today than we've ever had. We are closer to each other and in our relationship with God. And I am so thankful for him. And I just want to say that for him to be the one that edited this episode, knowing that everything that I was going to share was going to be shared today on this platform and still not only editing it, but also promoting it for me and just being my biggest cheerleader and excited for me shows so much of his character and strength and how far he truly has come in his recovery. And so I am just so thankful for him. And even in the situation with the loss of my son, that sometimes the answer to your earnest prayer is no. And although we don't always understand God, God's reasons for things, um, I do know that when we anchor into him, we can trust in his character and his goodness and his sovereignty. And so I hope that brings you hope for, for your future and whatever storms that you're facing today. Hey friend, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it and would like to connect and learn more, join our community on Facebook at Anchored In Always. I will put the group link in the show notes. You can also email me at katie at anchoredinalways.com. Lastly, I want to bring this message of hope and healing to as many hurting people as possible. So help me spread the love by sharing this podcast on your social media outlets. Another way you can do this is to take a quick minute and subscribe and leave me a review. Thank you for anchoring in with me today. God bless you as you weather your storms.